the hive. Launching Neurohive sequence. Welcome, Welcome to the Smarter Marketing Revolution. Presented by Hidden Force Media. With your host, Alex Vonderhaar. Yo, yo, yo. Today I'm coming at you with something super special. Uh, all of our episodes are special in my opinion, but today I wanted to lay something on you that is kind of one of my agency's hidden gems. Uh, typically all my full-time agency clients get this document when they first start working with us in some way, shape, or form. However, we've updated one and they're getting, uh, they're getting some of the newer cutting-edge information that's not necessarily... Uh, ready to show to the world yet that we've been doing research on and data collection. But this one is one that we've used for probably the last two years. And it's still super powerful. I still give it to people all the time when they start working with us. And uh, this was the year for me to start just giving information away for your value and your benefit. I wanted to hop in today with the seven ways to apply neuromarketing in your business. You hear the name of the show, right? It's Neurohive. Uh, so we get into the neuromarketing side of what is actually possible and how can we leverage psychology in our favor and how do we essentially cut through the brain circuitry to get to what we want to have happen. It starts off with really understanding uh, that marketing is a game of memorization and getting your clients to memorize who you are, what you do and what you offer can really seem like a daunting task at time. Like where in the world do we even start with that? Do we start with lead gen magnets? Do we start with social media ads? Do we start with a website with a landing page? The list can go on and on and on and on. And it seems like there's just too many choices. So people end up having paralysis by analysis. And I totally get it because I was right there where many of you are right now. Uh, I was all over the board with attempting this at first. I was doing this and that and everything in between. And it's back in 2015, I wasn't using neuromarketing at that time. I had extensive college background in human psychology and neuroscience, and I was doing a ton of digital marketing for a company that I was employed for, but it really didn't click yet. It didn't click that all this stuff linked together the way that it does. And after hundreds of hours of mentoring, reading, and over a million, multiple millions of dollars spent on paid ads, we've learned a lot about a few things around human psychology and what it how it applies to marketing. And the biggest learning lesson in probably the last six years is that human psychology truly drives our buying habits and decision-making processes. And of course, out of the gate, you're like, well, no duh, right? Everybody knows that our brain is responsible for making our decisions and how we interact with the world, but really understanding how much of this is subconscious and how much we're subjected to cues and different environmental stimulus that make us have influence over one decision versus another. And my team and I put together this list of kind of our top seven most used forms of neuromarketing that we use on almost a daily basis. It's not rocket science, but it is neuroscience. And there's a method to the madness of how we really operate with this. But understand something. They're just strategies, right? They will not be able to outwork good copy, good creative, a quality offer, or you know, simply put how we say it inside the agency, it's not going to do the push-ups for you, right? We have to show up every day, do the push-ups, do the work. So that way, when we lay in good copy, good offer, good creative, and then our neuromarketing strategies on top of that, it can really do the last 10 to 15% that's going to leave incredible change in your business and inside of your life. So let's hop into the first one, which is precision pricing. 
This is a concept of priming. And the idea of priming is really simple, but it's also kind of unsettling. So if you're... Pr- If you present an individual with subtle hints or cues, you can actually affect the way that that person's chain of behaviors play out. Even though he or she is probably totally unaware of either the priming or the behavioral change, it ends up happening regardless. Money-related images are some of the most potent content pieces for priming. And psychologist Kathleen Vose has dedicated years of studying how priming extensively relates to pricing structure and strategy. So as an example, her and her colleagues had student subjects read an essay that mentioned money or they sat facing a poster that pictured different types of currency. The students who were primed with the money cues took 70% longer to ask for help in solving a difficult problem and spent only half as much time helping other people. Unknown to the student, the other individual was actually part of the experiment that needed the assistance. But the students who were money primed also preferred to work alone and choose leisurely activities that involved being alone compared to the unprimed subjects. They even sat further away when setting up chairs to chat with one another. And what this really means is that even subtle money cues can change the frame of mind people are in. They don't want to depend on others, nor do they want others to depend on them. And this work has really interesting implications for advertising and marketing purposes, especially for those who use money themes in their ads. Big savings, higher investment returns, visions of highly prosperous retirement, money containers ranging from piggy banks to big bank vaults. Ads are full of these money-based images, but most of these ads appeal to the selfish interest of the viewer, so any priming that takes place should always match the intent of the advertisement. Money-related advertising images are persuasive in other types of ads, too. And not all appeal to selfish intentions. Most of the time in print, television, even in-store ads seem to be uh, emphasizing the savings. But the business owners who should be particularly cautious about money-saving cues are those who do not want to appeal to how somebody feels about themselves. They want to appeal to the viewer's feelings about others. Filling viewers with feelings of warmth and desire to please someone else and then reminding them about money could really be self-defeating. So it really is just a trade-off. The greatest salespeople often make the sale using feelings and emotions and then close the deal with a financial incentive that has an expiration looming. And one of my favorite ads of all times is a Diamond is Forever campaign. In the 1930s, at the start of the De Beers campaign, a single month's salary was the suggested ring spend. And in the 1980s, the U.S., it became two months. One advert uh, featured, or one advertising featured a pouting woman, a scarf, a finger, and a diamond ring. In the words, two months' salary showed Mrs. Smith what the future would be like. Another did away with the woman, the pout, the finger, and the diamond ring against a black background and a question. How can you make two months' salary last forever? As well as establishing that there was a salary calculation, years of De Beers marketing inextricably linked the diamond to the concept of an engagement ring. This was really a big breakthrough. Uh, And then they added this tagline uh, later on, which is a diamond is forever, which was actually written in 1947. The slogan worked, right? These two achievements making the diamond ring an essential part of getting married, it also dictated how much you should be paying for it. 
It makes it one of the most successful pieces of marketing advertisement to ever happen in the United States and around the world. This is an amazing example of advertising that adamantly avoids introducing money cues because it's different for everybody, but they still had to set that anchor and they still had to give people perspective when looking at precision-based pricing. Their ads target a luxury market gift, spending large sums of money to give someone else a polished piece of carbon whose value is determined by cartel-driven scarcity is really a weird concept to appear to one's own selfish interests, right? This is purely an emotional sales pitch at the end of the day that would be spoiled by the tagline if they said something like special savings in February. The ads even avoid talking about the investment value of diamonds. So that's our first one, right? Understanding precision pricing is one of the biggest cues that people use inside of the marketing world. And it's something that you can start to implement to fairly quickly. The next one that we have is words that build trust. We hear all the time, you got to build trust with your clients. You got to build trust with your customers. They have to know, like, and trust you. But do you believe that one sentence at the end of an advertising campaign could cause a major increase in the level of trust customers place in you? And believe me or not, it's actually scientifically proven. Researchers found that by placing the following statement at the end of an ad or an auto service firm, caused their trust scores to jump as much as 33%. The phrase was, you can trust us to do the job for you. It kind of seems like it's an, uh, it doesn't need to be said, right? But at the end of the day, marketing is a game of memorization. And clearly the implication in any ad or relationship is if you give the firm the job to do, it'll get done. If you give the business the job to do, it'll get done. right? If you trust your landscaper to get the job done for you, it'll get done. In the short sentence, there's no claim that the job will get done right, done better, done quicker, or even with a smile. Regardless, that phrase caused people to rate them more favorably in every single category. Fair price, the amount they cared, that they were treated well, that there was quality, and that they were competent. Right? Fair price went up about 7%. Caring went up 11%. Fair treatment went up 20%. Perceived quality went up 30% and perceived competency went up 33%. It's surprising that when the atmosphere of the trust us statement was implied, it produced a major increase in some very specific areas of performance. If you want the customers to trust you, you have to remind them that they can trust you. Try it. It'll work. You can trust me on this one. The next one that we have is decoy products and pricing. Popcorn, shaving cream, and everything in between. At some point in time, our businesses, we will all need to sell a very specific product. Whether it's because you're overstocked or because the highest ROI product or service and you just need to sell, 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 knowing how to move one very specific product can be incredibly valuable. Here's a real-world example. The last time I needed a can of shaving cream, I found myself totally glazed over my eyes and my nose hit sensory overload when I was at Kroger. There were gels, foam creams, and everything was staring me down aisle 11. I stood there just totally befuddled and overwhelmed by the amount of choices. I noticed a taller can of the advanced gel, and in the sea of shaving cream products, it was like, what's really advanced about it? This can was identical to several other advanced shaving cream gels, but it was one or two inches taller and held a couple of ounces more of the product. Best of all, it was the same price as the shorter can. I stood there for a couple seconds just to be sure I wasn't missing something important. I really wasn't. 
It's the same thing, just more, quote, value. This is really when my confusion just went away. I had no idea how shaving cream could be advanced or how that might compare with aloe or shea butter, but I grabbed the bigger can and headed out for the checkout. This is the exact same method that they use at the movie theaters with popcorn. I'm sorry for all my fellow movie fans out there for the spoiler, but the next time you order a popcorn, see if you can spot the decoy, and if you can, shoot it over to me at alex.vonderhaar on IG. Relativity is the key element in decoy marketing. Our brains aren't good at judging absolute values, but they are always ready to compare value and benefit. And when this is used proactively, a decoy product or offer can make another product look like a better value. In Predictively Irrational, author Dan Airely highlights an experiment using magazine subscriptions. Like most of Airely's experiments, this one is deceptively simple, but it leads to a really cool result. So there were two groups of subjects, and one group saw one another of the offers that they subscribed to The Economist. So they had uh, two offers going. First one was a $59 internet-only subscription, and there was a $125 internet and print subscription. So with this, they had 68 that chose the $59 value one. They had 32 that chose the 125 with a predicted estimated revenue of about $8,000. When they put in a decoy product, they had a $59 internet-only subscription. They had a $125 print-only subscription. They had a $125 internet and print subscription with a predicted revenue of $11,500. Simply by putting in the print-only subscription option, which, by the way, zero chose, there were 16 people that chose the $59 option, and 84 people chose the $125 with print and internet subscription. It increased their revenue by over $3,500. So take a moment to really think about this inside of your business. Almost a $3,000 increase simply by choosing a decoy. So think about this at the movie theater and make sure you shoot me a DM at alex.vonderhaar if you were able to find the decoy at the movie theater. So both the offers are really the same, right? The only difference is that there's the exception of including the decoy offer inside of the second offer. Despite the fact that not only a single person chose that unattractive offer, it was uh, pretty dramatic, right? 62% more subjects chose the combined print and internet offer, and predictive revenue jumped over 43%. And Although it's true that Airly's test had his subjects choose without actually consummating the deal with a credit card, it's clearly a more attractive offer. And there's actually brain scan evidence. One study used fMRI scanning to peek into the brains when we were trying to choose between options. And the researchers found that choosing between two equally attractive options causes the subject to display irritation due to the difficulty of choosing. However, when another less attractive option was offered, the choice process became easier and more pleasurable. So guys, the next time that you and your girl are in the car trying to figure out what you want for dinner on the drive home, and you know you really want something bad, throw that offer in with something that you know isn't as great and see what you guys end up with for dinner. My next tip for you, add a high-end product. Trust me, you're worth it on this one. So in the last piece of this, we talked about decoy marketing and its effectiveness because of the way our brains process comparisons. Now let's look at a different kind of decoy, a high-end product. At one point in time, Williams-Sonoma offered a $275 bread maker. 
Later, they offered a large capacity option for a 50% increase. They didn't sell many of the more expensive models, but the sales of the cheaper model doubled. Simple but effective, right? By introducing this higher-priced product, the previously most costly unit became compared with the middle of the road regards to pricing. So buyers were no longer spending like too much on a Lamborghini and instead found themselves making a wise and practical choice with a nice Audi. Stanford University Experiment had a group of consumers choose between two cameras to kind of prove this out. One more full-featured than the other. The second group chose from the selection of three cameras plus one even higher-end model. The first group split their purchase about 50-50 between the two models. But in the second group where they had the three options, fewer of the cheapest units were sold more than the second camera sold. Adding the expensive model makes the second camera look more reasonable in comparison. This process could be uh, compared to price anchoring, which is kind of a ninja hack. Pair the two together and you've got a powerful growth hack. From a practical standpoint, this means that you have to have a solid product at the top of your line. You can actually increase its sales by adding an even higher priced product above it to the top line. You might find that the market will support the new premium item with its own merits. That happens, perhaps introducing an even more costly super premium product might even further boost revenue as well. Of course, I have to warn you about a few things. The customer may not be comparing your product only against each other, but you have to look out for your competition and what they're offering too. And the last one that I have for you on this is you should actually avoid having too many product variations. Research shows that having too many choices reduces sales due to paralysis by analysis. Now let's get into some of the sensationalism of marketing. The connection between our senses and our brain is absolutely direct. Marketers, advertisers, and business owners who really understand this and implement sensory neuromarketing into their business will have massive competitive advantage over their competition. By appealing directly to the emotions and the stored memories of your customers, you can change weak brands and products into absolute powerhouses. We call this making your brand smashable. In essence, I think your brand should be identifiable even with some of the parts of the marketing component aren't even there. If your logo is removed from your product or your ad, would it still be recognizable? Is just a color enough to signify your brand? I think so. A few brands have the power to claim a single color as their exclusive look, but the point is that marketers and branding experts and business owners need to think beyond their logo as their sole consistent element in their branding efforts. To be truly successful, your marketing should encompass every human sense. This isn't an exhaustive list of possible sensory topics. But check them off and see which ones you're addressing now and which are successful enough that you and your customers would recognize them on your own. For sight, is it a logo? Is it a product design? Is it colors? Is it typeface? For sounds, do you have music? Do you have product sounds? Do you have a, a jingle? For taste, does your product have a taste? Is it edible? Uh, does it give uh, is it edible favors or gifts that you give people? Is it dinner that you take them to once a quarter? For smell, what does it smell like? And we're actually going to get into an example of how I use smell in one of my marketing campaigns in a second. Is there a product smell? Uh, for touch, does the product surface or shape have a specific feel? Is the marketing material doing what it's supposed to do and give a sense of heaviness or weight? Is there an environmental surface on the brand that makes it feel something unique? The key to this, though, is consistency. Consistency in building sensory aspects of your brand is key. 
because these elements should be the same across time in any location and any use. We use the example a lot of a pineapple. A pineapple has a feel. A pineapple has a taste. You can imagine what it feels like on the outside, what it smells and tastes like on the inside, because a pineapple is always consistent. So one of the examples that I want to talk about is what I used for a smell within a direct-to-consumer e-commerce brand that did clothing. So sales were starting to kind of flounder. They were having issues with paid ads just because of what was actually going on for um, going on at the time. iOS 14.5 had hit, and we were really kind of struggling to get ads to move again. So they ditched their agency, and they were coming over to us, and we said, well, let's look at the ad account. Let's see if there's any cleanup we can do. Did some cleanup, got some initial ads running. And as I usually do with all my clients, I purchase some of their product just to see what the sales process is like from beginning to end. And when I opened up the bag, it smelled like lobster. It smelled awful. It smelled like fish. Like the whole product smelled like fish. I was like, why in the world does it smell like fish in my house? And I realized that the place that they had done this in, he had had to have microwaved something or was cooking food in his kitchen. And the shirt smelled like fish. I was like, gah, right? We've all smelt that awful smell before. And my first thing that came to mind is we got to put a scent in every single shirt that goes out. And it has to be a customized scent that's unique to them. So anytime somebody opens up that poly mailer bag, one, they don't have to smell what I smelt. But two, we get to implement different forms of marketing that you don't typically see with online e-commerce brands. Most of these online e-commerce brands, all they want to do is just sell you the product into the next one. But for this one, we really wanted to make opening the bag an experience to make the brand stand out. So when we did this, our repeat customer rate went up by 34%, and our social media post engagement almost doubled within about three months of implementing this. And the reason being is that people started going crazy for the scent of the bag. It was addictive. It was memorizable, and people kept wanting to come back for more. If you think about the last time you've gone to a mall inside of the United States, I know it's been a minute. But you can almost smell what Abercrombie and Fitch smells like before you even walk into the mall. You know you're going to smell Annie Ann's pretzels when you walk into the mall. They have a sound. They have a taste. They have a smell and a touch to them that is memorizable and is consistent over time. My favorite one is the price of a smile. I always tell people, go make somebody smile today. And it's not on accident because a truly fascinating study shows that exposure to brief images of smiling or frowning faces too quickly for the subject to consciously process actually affected the amount of people were willing to pay for a drink. It's not too terribly difficult to imagine a positive smiling staff member selling more on average, right, than the scowling one. But a study done a few years ago uh, by Winkleman at the University of California, San Diego and Kent C. Barrage of the University of Michigan showed that even subliminal smiling images could have a significant effect. The researchers showed subjects of a picture of a neutral face that was neither smiling nor unsmiling for less than half a second. That's long enough to recognize the face as to identify the gender in which the subject was supposed to. The researchers also inserted a very brief image of smiling or scowling faces, and the image was only shown for 16 milliseconds. That's 6.25 times faster than a blink. The subjects were totally unaware of the smile or scowl image that they had been exposed to and were neither more nor less positive. 
Despite this, subjects who were thirsty served themselves more of a beverage and drank more if they saw a happy face. The second phase of the study showed that thirsty subjects would pay about twice as much as the same beverage if they saw a happy face instead of an angry one. And then the researchers deduced that the role played by the thirst showed that the emotional reactions were biophysiological in nature and were unaffected by conscious processing of the stimuli. And the authors called this phenomenon unconscious emotion, referring to the fact that an apparent emotion change has occurred with the subject being aware of neither the stimulus that caused it nor the shift of the emotional state. Even pictures of smiling faces help sales. Flashing these subliminal images at customers waiting to be served a burger restaurant doesn't seem very practical, right? Or even ethical for that matter. What the study shows is that even a tiny elevation in mood so small that is imperceivable to the subjects can affect what the customer's consumption and willingness to spend are. In essence, the manager who trains their employees to smile is on the right path. In addition, imagery in the purchase area should be positive and any pictured people should always be smiling. The secondary takeaway is that the market research should be very cautious when asking people to describe their emotional state. The research showed significant behavioral effects even when the subjects did not notice any change in their emotional state. Simply asking people questions inevitably fails to disclose what's really happening inside of their brain. Got one more for you. Hopefully you're still here with me. Many of us work with websites that depend on collecting consumer data, lead gen sites, charity sites, e-commerce sites, sales, and so on. And typically the people who run these sites have content useful to those visitors and want to use that content to encourage visitors to give us their data, right? It's the goal of marketing. Let's get their information. Let's do some lead gen. This is very valuable content and be provided with a ton of numbers forms, white papers, a podcast, a recorded webinar, password protected section of a site. And the most commonly seen strategy can be summarized as this, force visitors to give up their info before we show them the good stuff. But there's a catch to this approach. If there's an SEO person listening to this, then the immediate objection will be like, well, you can't put your best content behind a registration form. It won't get indexed by Google or even linked to it, and your traffic will tank. Possibly. The good news is that there's a strategy that will keep both SEO experts and the number of people happy. There's this idea of reciprocity is greater than reward. Requiring a user to give up their precious contact data before viewing content is a reward strategy. Give us your info and we'll reward you by letting you see our wonderful information. This is an appealing strategy at first glance. 100% of the people who use this content will have completed the form and valuable information should be a powerful motivator for visitors to comply. In fact, most users confronted with a form won't complete it. If they arrived at the site looking for some specific information, they will likely hit the back button and see if they can get that information elsewhere without submitting their information. I do it all the time. You do it all the time. If I have to go through a paywall or a, a lead gen wall to get a piece of information, I'm going to bounce. But if all, the con if all the good content at that is locked away behind a login, the number of free visitors arriving by clicks on organic search will be low anyway. Turns out that reciprocity strategy can work better. Give visitors the info they want and then ask them for their information. Italian researchers found that twice as many visitors gave up their contact data, they were able to access the information first. I know it's a super counterintuitive approach, 
perhaps, but even those visitors were under no obligation to complete the form. They converted at double the rate of the visitors seeing the mandatory form. And the psychological principle of reciprocity is not just limited to form submissions. This principle suggests that visitors who are rewarded in advance would be more likely to buy products, make donations, and on and on and on. In the book Neuro Web Design, Susan Winchek suggests putting a call to action button immediately after the good content. If you invoke reciprocity, you'll be working with the way that our brains are wired and will be more likely to get the visitors that you want out of them. So, as with most aspects of web design, you should test both, obviously. It's possible that depending on the perceived value of the content, the simplicity of the sign-up form and other factors, the reward approach might prove more conversions. Don't assume. It's bad for both of us. 